Let's look together today at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And we want to focus our thoughts on a familiar verse, familiar words in verse 20. Matthew 18, 20, where Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And may God bless the reading of his word. This is a familiar promise by the Lord Jesus Christ. He promises his special presence and blessing with the smallest number who meet together as his assembly and gather together in his name and we ought to consider here something of the context of this statement because that makes it even more interesting and helpful. The Lord in the context is addressing the subject of church discipline. And it is out of the bitter ground of church discipline that this sweet promise of his presence with even a small number does grow. And I call it the bitter ground of church discipline because church discipline is never an enjoyable event and we avoid it as much as we can there have been a few times when we were not able to avoid it and had to engage in that it's a, it's a bitter experience but it is in that context that the lord makes this exceedingly sweet promise where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. If Jesus comes to a discipline meeting of a church, then surely he comes to the meetings for worship and prayer and preaching and ordinances. And so let us draw encouragement from this promise and look at it, uh, first of all, in its context more, more closely and then make some observations on it. The Lord <clears throat> is addressing, beginning in verse 15, how to handle a personal trespass. Let's read these verses. Verse 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or three, or take with thee one or two more, 
that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them." So the Lord works through this process, or he lays it out to us to work through as the occasion and need arises. Someone sins against you. One who is called a brother in verse 15. He's one who professes to be a brother. And you recognize as a brother, a fellow believer, and fellow members of the same assembly, as the following verses make clear. And this brother trespasses against you. That could be a wide variety of Things, but it's some sin, some personal offense that rises to the level of a sin, a trespass. And so, what do you do? You attempt to resolve the matter privately, just the two of you. You go to him to rectify the situation and thank the Lord, you know, nine times out of ten things are resolved at that level and that's the end of it. No one else ever knows anything about it because it's none of their business. It was just between you and him. And the the friendship continues. The brotherhood is, is uh, secure problem is resolved but what if this brother who has sinned and committed a personal sin against you is not reconciled and does not uh, admit that he has sinned well the situation then is unresolved and the Lord says get one or two others involved in the effort to resolve and to restore and this is in keeping with the principle set forth early in the Old Testament that there should be witnesses to things that are said and so on So you take one or two, so that means there are either two or three of you, counting yourself, who go to this unrepentant uh, offender and 
So then you have two or three witnesses to that effort to reconcile and to resolve the the problem. And if it gets to that level, the, the odds are not quite as good as 9 out of 10. And so the Lord, who knows human nature, he anticipates that it may not be resolved at that level, even bringing in others as, as witnesses and maybe as counselors and so this offending brother won't admit his sin and won't repent of it and so the next step is to take it to the church verse 17 if he shall neglect to hear them tell it unto the church and the church that's in view here is Undoubtedly, the gathered assembly. That's where the information is uh, laid out and, and, and disseminated in a gathering. This is the Lord's institution established by Him for the edification of believers and the evangelization of unbelievers and yes even for the the discipline that has to be done sometimes <clears throat> this is the second of two times that the lord uses the term church in the four gospels <clears throat> we see the term used quite a bit in the epistles and in the revelation but as far as matthew mark luke and john It's only here and back in chapter 16 where Jesus says after Peter's great confession that uh, Christ is the son of the living God. Thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's my understanding that The Lord is using the term church in the same definition in both of these passages. There's no information that would indicate otherwise. In chapter 16, he's referring to his church as an institution. His institution will live on. Here in chapter 18, he's giving kind of a concrete example of that institution functioning. And his institution exists wherever baptized believers assemble in his name to carry on his worship and his work. So the Lord says, If you have to take it to this level, then tell it to the church. Tell it to the assembly. And if things reach that level, oh, how uh, difficult it is for the one who has committed the trespass to uh, 
acknowledge it and to repent of it. The Lord then goes on and says, But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. <clears throat> the transgressor doubles down, digs in, refuses to hear the correction and admonition of the church. He won't admit his error. He he defends himself in his trespass, is unrepentant. The only thing left to do is to no longer consider this man a brother in Christ. But rather, if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. He has to be considered no longer as a brother, but as a pagan. And as a dishonest person. The publicans were the most notorious of of dishonest, scheming persons. And the Lord says, at this point, that person that was considered a brother, he's no longer considered a brother. He's considered a pagan and a cheat. Then he says, verse 18, Verily I say unto you, that's an introduction that should get our attention. Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I can't help but uh, connect that with the passage in chapter 16 where Jesus says to Peter as representing the that young church, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The keys of the kingdom are in the local assembly. And what Jesus says here in verse 18 amounts to this. Heaven takes notice of the disciplinary action of a church. And the verb tenses here in verse 18 indicate uh, in, in some way that heaven acts first. A crassly literal rendering of the verbs here is uh, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be having been bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be having been loosed in heaven. Jesus assures us here that when discipline is necessary and done according to his will, it's not just an earthly matter. It is not something that God takes no notice of. Far from it. God in heaven endorses and ratifies the obedient action of his assembly. That underscores how important this matter is and how 
seriously we should take it. And then that brings us to verses 19 and 20. Again, I say unto you, and he doesn't use the word verily here, but it's almost the same introduction that says, listen carefully. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying to you. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And sometimes we take this verse by itself and uh, at least today, let's make sure we see the context here. It's in the context of church discipline and the agreeing on the part of the church in the discipline that has to be administered, the excommunication, the, the disfellowshipping of one who refuses to repent of his sin. And that then follows up with verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Christ says, in effect, no matter how small your church is, I'm with you. I'm present at your meetings. I honor the discipline that you do. I'm right in the middle of it. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so what I want to underscore here is the Lord Jesus, the Lord of his church, anticipates a scenario in which there exists a very small church. Very small. In fact, it's the smallest number possible. It's it's the smallest company possible. Two. Or maybe three. He doesn't say why the church might be that small. Maybe it's just getting started. Maybe it's under persecution. People have been killed off. We read of that in church history. Maybe it's in a difficult place and struggling for any number of reasons, or perhaps it's just become a special target of Satan and has been reduced from larger numbers. Two or three. In fact, one writer, is it Spurgeon, says, wherever there are two, there are three because the Lord is there. (laughs) Wherever there are three, there are four because the Lord is there. What is described here in verse 20 is a church functioning as a church. It's not simply two or three believers uh, meeting at a restaurant for fellowship. Uh, It's two or three gathered together in my name in, in church capacity, in commitment, in some structure to carry on Christ's work and the work of the Great Commission. That's what he's describing here as 
two or three gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them, he says. Now, let me make some observations, and I hope that this will be encouraging to us at at this time. Why does the Lord emphasize the numbers? He emphasizes it both in verse 19 and in verse 20. If two of you, even if it's just two of you, or verse, or verse uh, that's verse 19. And in verse 20, two or three of you. I would suggest a couple of reasons. First of all, the one who has done the trespass and who won't listen to anybody and who is unrepentant and uh, won't be corrected, he will likely minimize the discipline if it is carried out by only a few. Or as we say, he will just blow it off and say, well, if it was a you know a big church, it would be significant. If it's just a little church, it's just two or three people. What they do is meaningless and insignificant and inconsequential. And the Lord tells us that's far from the truth. It's far from reality. No matter how small or how few, he says, if you are sincerely endeavoring to serve me, to do my will, to follow my instructions, to carry out my commission, to function as my assembly, to be faithful in the difficult circumstances and duties that are upon you. I'm with you. No matter how small you are, I am present in your gathering. I am guiding you. I am pleased with you. I am protecting you. I am ratifying your obedience. So that's one reason. Lest the offending one minimize the significance of the discipline. Of course, Holy Scripture may not mean too much to him at that point. But another reason I would suggest that the Lord goes out of his way to emphasize the numbers and even the smallness of the assembly in view here is that the church itself may look at itself and, uh, in the words of Zechariah, despise the day of small things. A small church may take its size as an excuse not to follow Christ's instruction. They may say, well, this is a situation that calls for discipline, but there's so few of us, then it it doesn't really matter. Our our action wouldn't be taken seriously by anybody anyway. Um, And who knows, it might weaken us and it might drive new people away and it, it might destroy us altogether. So let's just not do what we're supposed to do here. 
No, the Lord says, if it's just two or three who are the church involved in the disciplinary matter, they must obey my will and leave the results with me. So, Christ's special presence with two or three comes as a surprise to several groups. First of all, it comes as a surprise to the one who is under discipline or who is excommunicated. who minimizes the the discipline and says, oh, there's just a few of them over there. What they do doesn't count. God doesn't pay them any attention. Christ is not there. And Jesus says, wrong, wrong, wrong. I am there. Christ's special presence with just two or three as a church, is a surprise to the world that looks on. And when one who has been called a brother is now considered as a pagan, a heathen, and and a a thief, a, a dishonest person, a publican, well, they can't help but notice. And at least some will figure it out and realize there's been some action taken here. And they will look on. And they will mock. And say, oh, that group over there, there's just two or three of them. Who do they think they are? They're just a little cult. And here they are. They can't even get along among themselves. They're squabbling and they they say that he's a pagan now and so on. Because in the eyes of the world, large numbers give legitimacy. And even those who don't go to church will look at, let's say, the megachurch, and they'll think it is legitimate. If God is anywhere, then he must be with them because there's a lot of people there. God surely isn't with this little group over here. And Jesus says, wrong, wrong. I am with that little group. Thirdly, Christ's special presence with two or three is a surprise to other churches. Or at least those that call themselves churches. They look around and they think that Numbers give legitimacy. And they say, that little group over there, there's so few of them, they're probably, they probably don't even qualify as a church. They're as good as dead. They're not viable. God is not with them. And Jesus says, wrong. Wrong thinking. I am with those two or three as they 
gather in my name and are obedient to my word. And then fourthly, Christ's special presence with two or three may come as something of a surprise to the church itself. As they look within and say, well, there's only two or three of us. What difference does it make, really? Who's paying attention? Is the Lord really watching us that closely? He would expect more careful obedience out of a bigger number. We're not too important to Him. And the Lord of the church says, wrong. Wrong. Wrong thinking. He says, you are important to me. I'm in the middle of you. Mr. Spurgeon said, the church is neither mine nor yours, but the king's. He means King Jesus. What nobility this gives to Christ's church. Whenever the church meets, there is a solemn dignity cast about that assembly, which is not to be found in a parliament of kings and princes. If Napoleon could assemble all the potentates of this world, all of them together would not be worth the snap of a finger compared with half a dozen godly old women who meet together in the name of Christ as a church in obedience to the Lord's command. And I I can't help but wonder if Mr. Spurgeon, when he said that, perhaps had recently read the history of the church at Hillcliff because that's exactly what happened there. And that book would have been available to him well known in those days. Let me give one other word of encouragement here for from Mr. Spurgeon. He says in, in another uh, sermon... There is no excuse for giving up on prayer meetings while there are two praying people in the place. For two can prevail with God. However small the number, we make a quorum. End quote. So, those who think lightly of a church when it is few in number but are serving the Lord and following His Word are really out of step with the Lord of the church. He doesn't set a minimum number He doesn't say, if there are less than 50, it's not worth my showing up. He doesn't say, if there's not at least 10 there, then it's not worth my showing up. He never says, you've dropped below the minimum number. And if he is happy to meet with us 
should we not be happy to meet with him? And so this text comes to me as an encouragement. I hope it comes to you that way today. Again, in such a bitter context, there is this very sweet promise. A small church should not be discouraged. And beloved, a small church can be a strong church if they are obedient to the word of God and committed to him. And if they are unified, as is emphasized there in verse 19, they agree together in the things of God. And they are gathered together, or they they do gather together in the name of Christ, as verse 20 says. Even a small church can be a strong church and enjoy the presence of our Almighty Savior and draw on the infinite resources of heaven. Better to meet with two or three with him than with a multitude without him. And so, numbers don't make a church. What does make a church? Commitment to Christ and commitment to one another in the worship and service of the Lord and carrying out his orders as his institution. That's what makes a church. I tell you, you can have a church of two or three and have a stronger church than of two or three hundred who are not committed to the Lord and and practically committed one to another. It really does take commitment one to another to work through the painful process of church discipline that's set forth here. So let us believe the Lord's promise. Let us not question it. Let us not doubt it. Let us look for his presence. Let us expect it and pray for it. Let us believe his promise. And having said that, we have work to do for the Lord. We have witness to bear for him. We have a commission to obey as a church. And so let us be about our master's business. Let us be faithful to him who is faithful to us. And let us rejoice in his promise to meet with us. A church of two or three should pray and labor that the Lord might add Two or three more. And two or three more. May the Lord do that. Let's sing a hymn as we close together.